You are listening to History Man, a platform for historians, authors, and museum directors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, walk in the footsteps of heroes, and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are with Steve Sudrath, the author of Trails Through Time, A History of the Blowing Rock Area, 1400 to 1900. So welcome, Steve. Glad to be here, Eric. Steve, tell us a little bit about your book uh, and where they can get it and what it's about. Locally, the book can be gotten at the Blowing Rock. It can be purchased at Sunset Tees and Foot Sloggers here in Blowing Rock. It can be purchased in Boone at Deerfield Pharmacy and at Foot Sloggers. Wilkesboro at Wilkes uh, Heritage Museum and in Lenore at the Caldwell County Heritage Museum. Online, it can be purchased at Steve Dash S U D D E R T H Dash Books dot Square dot Site. Excellent. I know that uh, if they were to order this book online or stop by one of these local establishments, they would be very impressed with the work that you've done. You have taken a part of history in this area that is rarely covered, and if it is covered, it's not encapsulated in one resource, and you've done that here. And uh, I've enjoyed reading it, and I know that, uh, that our listeners will enjoy reading it and uh, enjoy your stories today. So tell us, give us an overview of the book. The book is uh, about the Boyne Rock area from 1400 to 1900. Everything after 1900 is very well covered in other books, especially the book that's by the Watauga County Historical Society, um, the Boyne Rock, the Tapestry. My book focuses, like you said, on a little-known time frame of history. And a lot of that time frame, there, was, there weren't any residents here, but it was the migration to this area was impacted by worldwide and regional events that caused people to come here. And so I started out in a broad area in the 1400s with the Native Americans, uh, the Spanish explorers like uh, De Soto and Juan Pardo, and um, brought it in to uh, Blowing Rock as far as get, you know, when the first settlers here, the first explorers, uh, what the area was like, the first landowners. Blowing Rock during the Civil War, uh, the development of Blowing Rock as a community. And I also included a voter registration list, the first voter regist registration list because the genealogists that are researching know that the 1890 census is just gone, it was burned up in a fire. So if you think your family might have lived here, I, I had a copy of that, um, actually I've got the original copy of the uh, voter registration, Tells uh, gives a lot of good information about the residents of Blowing Rock in 1890 to 1906 actually. Of course History Man is, is especially interested in the niche of the American Revolution and, and you have some information on the revolution in that, not that uh, so many battles were fought here, but because we're talking about the over-the-mountain uh, men that came from this area as a whole. You also had 
a great deal of Tories from this area that, uh, that, that fought in the American Revolution. I'm thinking of Brian's Men, uh, which was a Tory uh, group uh, that uh, ended up at two battles, Hanging Rock, and uh, they, were, they were there and uh, they got decimated, but they were run out of this area because of Ben Cleveland and his, his Patriot forces, his Patriot militia. Uh, but prior to the revolution, there were a number of different uh, European uh, influences here, and they cropped up in a whole bunch of different ways, didn't they? Yes. The um, Spanish were the first to come through this area in uh, 1567. Uh, DeSoto had already gone through uh, one part of called Fort San Juan, uh, just north of Morganton, uh, DeSoto called Swalla. There was a major Indian trading path that ran up the Johns River through an area of Caldwell County known as the Globe. And for your listeners, the Globe is an area where you've got 2,000-foot mountains completely surrounding this beautiful valley with a river running through it, the Johns River. And there's only one good outlet to it, and that's going, that's not quite as steep, and that's going up what we now call the Old Johns River Road. That was the way Pardo went to Abing, just actually Saltville, Virginia, which is 105 miles north of Fort San Juan. And that was the route that one, or, uh, Juan Pardo's Sergeant Moya actually took to go uh, battle some Native Americans at uh, Saltville, Virginia. So they were the first Europeans to come through this area. Then the Long Hunters came. The Long Hunters were people that could earn more in four months of hunting in the wintertime than they could a year of farming. And even though Daniel Boone, the most famous long hunter, and other long hunters from Virginia and Piedmont, North Carolina, went on into Kentucky, there was an earlier bunch that came through this area. They named everything Flat Top, uh, what we call Green Hill now, uh, next to Green Hill uh, or um, Green Park Inn as you come into Blowing Rock, was called the Top of the Blue Ridge. Flat top, uh, there were hunting camps. It's like Daniel Boone's hunting camp. The community still uses that name, Meat Camp, even though it was Daniel Boone's base camp when he was long hunting in this, say, in the early 1760s. When we come into this area, we're looking at things in many respects through the eyes of the present day. Or, you know, maybe we go back, maybe we have a sense of history and we go back. Uh, a few years through the photographic evidence and that sort of thing. Back in the Revolutionary War days, uh, we were talking before the episode uh, about Highway 321 that you come up now out of Lenore, out of Hickory, through Lenore, coming up to Blowing Rock, going towards Boone. Was that road here at that time? That road was not built till 1847. 1847 is when that road was built. Yes. So all the the travelways prior to that were nothing but footpaths. Except for the Indian trading path, the old Cherokee trading path. I see, I see, there was a wire. Yeah. There was a wire that uh, Bishop 
Asbury, a traveling Methodist bishop in the 1780s, traveled that quite a bit. Um, Colonel or Major Joseph uh, White, he called it Major Joseph White's New Improved Pike. Joseph White was a member uh, of the Second Burke Militia, and he was from Morganton. And after the Revolutionary War, he built a camp, White's Camp out here. There's still a White Springs Cemetery. There used to be a White Springs Methodist Church there. And he actually, interesting story on uh, Joseph White. Uh, there's Joe White Mountain down, down in the Globe area. But he moved from here over to Knoxville, Tennessee. And revolutionary captain in the militia fought at uh, Camden, fought at Kings Mountain under uh, Charles McDowell. And uh, he was actually kicked in the head by a horse and killed after he'd been through Camden and Kings Mountain and everything else. It's kind of like, geez, bad luck. So tell, tell us a little bit more about how this area changed and uh, how the British changed the way they looked at this area and how that played into the Revolutionary War. The North Carolina and South Carolina were originally one colony. And then it was split in two and the Lord Proprietors, the five Lord Proprietors took over and they were developing this from a monetary standpoint to make money to sell land. And the colonists were so disenfranchised by the early 1660s because they hadn't settled many people in this area to really develop an economy and get it going that the Crown took, bought everything back but Lord Granville's part, and that's the top part of North Carolina from the Bath all the way supposedly then to the Mississippi River to uh, the Pacific Ocean. From, from the where to the where? From the Virginia state line down to Bath, North Carolina. Bath, North Carolina. Yeah, on the coast. I didn't think you were going to your to your uh, bathroom in your house. No, no, but... Bath, North Carolina. The city. Okay. All the way to the coast, okay. or all the way to the Mississippi River, or farther to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, then in six, 1763, uh, King George created a proclamation line because they were already getting uh, rumblings that the colonists were disenfranchised, and after the England was bankrupt from the Seven Years' War. And they didn't want to get in another war with the French or the, the Cherokees. So they, told, they created a peace with the Cherokees that we'll, we're not going to expand further than the crest of the Blue Ridge. And the crest of the Blue Ridge runs right through Blowing Rock. So we were on the 1763 proclamation line. Well, now the, the people in the back country they were having trouble with the um, British anyway because the merchant class were, were basically taken over and they felt like they didn't have a voice in government. And that they knew of all of this wonderful land because they'd been long hunting. And we know there were long hunters in this area because if you read the colonial records, when Bishop Spanglenburg came through here in 1752, he got lost on top of what we call Flat Top Mountain. 
And he said, along came a hunter that knew the area and gave us directions off of it. That hunter was not part of his entourage. And Bishop Spangenberg later uh, created uh, what's now Salem or Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with the Moravian settlements. So uh, they knew there was all this good land here, and they couldn't come because the British were saying no. So uh, then that created the regulator movement. And with the regulator movement, the crown basically said, we're not going to hear your arguments. You're just going to be our loyal subjects and carry on. And so they had a big, uh, the, the regulator movement culminated with the Battle of Alamance. And the interesting thing about the Battle of Alamance is that most of the people that were regulators turned into Tories and all the people that were with the militia went with the uh, colonials, which I find totally fascinating. They just, almost to the man, flip sides. But anyway, the proclamation line really caused a lot of problems. And when the British started stirring up the Cherokee to keep the uh, people in the frontier behind the proclamation line, and there were a lot of Indian raids. Uh, several forts were built. You had a fort built at Bethabara or Salem uh, for the Moravians. You had Fort Dobbs in Statesville. You had uh, Fort Isaacs later, Fort Defiance built along the old road uh, on the Yadkin River in Caldwell County. You had Fort Crider or Grider, uh, depending on the spelling used in downtown Lenore. Then you had uh, Quaker Meadows in Morganton, Charles McDowell. Then you had uh, Kathy's Fort, which was in the uh, along the North Catawba River, uh, uh, just below Linville Falls, North Carolina, in McDowell County. And then you had oh, uh, the fort at. Uh, what's now Old Fort, North Carolina, and they've actually reconstructed that fort uh, there on the frontier. By that time, you had people such as uh, John Sevier uh, and um, Colonel Shelby that had moved into the Sycamore Shoals area of um, what's now East Tennessee at Elizabethan. And um, they built Fort Watauga there. A lot of people people started moving into that area in 1765, which was way before the Revolution. And they were a mix: Ulster Scots, German, English, French Huguenots, uh, j just a big mixture of people that were living in that area. So you had all of those revolutionary forts uh, that were there to defend against the Indian incursions. So we're talking about the proclamation line right here. Were the Indians right here at Bull Run? This, because of the little climate change, the, the little ice age, this was used as a hunting ground uh, or just a staging area. During, during the battle between uh, that Nancy Alexander writes in her book about the battle at Warriors Fork in Caldwell County, the Cherokee used this as a staging area. If you really look at it, where the battle was fought and all of the uh, Native American trails that lead on and off the mountain, 
this would have been an area that they could secure against counterattack, plus a place to launch that. So tell us a little bit about that war as we finish up this episode. The, I think it's part, it, it happened between 1715 and 1737. I think it ties more into the Yamasee War, the larger Yamasee War. Okay. Uh, but it could have been uh, an, a battle that was fought after the Yamasee War. Okay. But that was the time frame. And the Cherokee used Blowing Rock as a staging area, and they attacked the Catawba Indian tribe in the what's now called the Warriors Fork area of Caldwell County. And the battle raged for two or three days, and they were the uh, Cherokee were driven back about four or five times. And finally, both tribes were just so exhausted, they just said, look, we're going to call a truce. They tied two uh, tulip poplars together, called them, uh, and said, piled up some rocks and said, we're not going to fight anymore. The boundary line between our two nations is basically the proclamation line, the, edge, the crest of the Blue Ridge. Those tulip poplars are still there today. Yes, sir. Is it a true story? Yeah. Based on what? Ba based on uh, the uh, traditions of the Native Americans that stayed in this area. Uh, there was a lady by the name of Sally Scott that uh, she was a, she Catawba. And uh, she lived into the early 1800s. And uh, she did a lot of work. She was like a ha housemaid or like that. Uh, her stories were recorded and written down. Where would I find those stories? Uh, Caldwell County Library in uh, the Nancy Alexander section. Well, that's interesting. I actually had, a, had the opportunity to go to the Twin Poplars and uh, Cindy Day down there at the Historical Museum in Caldwell County. And she. She set that up. It's actually on private land, and so you have to get permission. But uh, it is interesting to, to go down there and, and, and see those poplars and, uh, and hear the story. Uh, tell our listeners again uh, that it's the Trails Through Time, a history of the Blowing Rock area, 1400 to 1900. Uh, it's a cool book. We have, you actually walk us through the beginnings of the area up here uh, several different legends and myths from the community. You walk us through the, the committees of safety during, prior to the revolution and during the revolution, and you walked us through some of the militia captains and leaders from this area and all the way up through 1900. So it's a cool book. How do they reach it? Uh, they can get it online at steve-sudderth-books dot square dot site or they can purchase it locally at the Bloin Rock, Footslogger's Boone of Bloin Rock, Sunset Tees in downtown Bloin Rock, Deerfield Pharmacy in Bloin Rock and Boone, um, Caldwell County Historical Museum in Lenore or the Wilkes County Historical Museum in Wilkesboro. Thank you so much Steve.